Well, amen. That is beautiful, isn't it? It is such a delight to hear all those wonderful Christmas songs this morning, and it's clear that God has gifted so many people in this church to serve Him musically, and we are thankful to have, that we have the privilege of enjoying that gift here today. And a special thanks as well to Pastor Josh, Joe, and Marla, and everyone else who's put in work in leading and organizing this Christmas cantata. I know they've spent months um, dedicated to this, and it is a joy to worship our Lord in this way this morning. Well, there is a lot going on in the Christmas season, isn't there? There's a lot going on here at Faith Church, and I'm sure there's a lot going on in your home as well. We sing songs, we go see Christmas lights, we buy presents, we go see a living nativity, we see family, we bake a lot of cookies, we decorate a lot of cookies, we're probably going to eat a lot of cookies. There's a lot going on at this time of year. And it's a good occasion to always take a step back and meditate on why we celebrate Christmas. Because it's during this time of year that we can have a lot of distractions and the last thing that we want to do is to walk through this entire season and and forget to take a moment to just meditate and to dwell on um, the truths that we're really singing about in this season. And when we think about music, music is interesting because it always has a degree of intentional variation. So some parts are loud, some parts are soft, some parts are more reflective than others, some parts are slow, some parts are fast. And music often has the idea that it's carrying you somewhere. We can see that this morning in the songs that we've sung already, that the orchestra and choir sung already. And music is, it almost always has a climactic moment to it. Some moments are more significant than others. That doesn't mean that all of the song is not important, but sometimes there's a more significant part of something we're singing. And there's almost a degree of the mountaintop I'm experiencing a song, and if music were all the same note, the same tempo, at the same pace, and the same volume, we wouldn't really call that musical now, would we? But when we look at the Bible, the storyline of God's redemptive plan, it is very much like a song. In the sense of it, it, it goes up, it goes down, there's vivid sections, there's slower sections, and there is most definitely a climactic section or two. And we celebrate one of those significant moments here on Christmas in the Christmas season. And I'm sure many of you in this room are probably somewhat familiar with the Christmas story. And this morning, I would like for us to look at the event that happened just before Christmas. So just before the first Christmas, and you can find that on page 44 in the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. That is on page 44 in the Bible under the chair in front of you in the back section. And this section of Scripture, it focuses on the events leading up to the birth of Christ. And in particular, it has a lot to say about Mary, Jesus' mother, and what she experienced in those days. First, it describes how Mary found out that she was miraculously pregnant with a child. In Luke chapter 1, 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So Mary was a young girl at this point, whom the Lord chose to bless with the gift of being the one who would give birth to the Messiah, the chosen one who is going to deliver Israel and God's people. She conceived this child by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, which shows that this child is different than all other children, and the purpose for which this child was born was different than every other purpose that a child could be born for. And at the culmination of all these events leading up to the birth of Christ, Mary gives us something. She gives us a hymn or a song, something quite fitting for our time here at a Christmas cantata. And this song is referred to as the Magnificat. And it is a praise to the Lord for what he has done in both the nation of Israel and in Mary's life herself. So follow along with me as I read in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. In verse 46, it says, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, and behold, from this time on, All generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, and remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary is clearly a young woman that knows the scripture. She's able to recall many of the great things that God has done through his people Israel and through the Old Testament, and she can see just how God has even blessed her in this time. It is marvelous to, to hear these words of Mary. And when, we, when she sees all of these truths about the character of God, when all these things come together and she understands what is happening, what does she do? She worships. And now when we see the Christmas message as one that we can behold the great character of our God, and we see what he has done for his people for thousands of years. And when we understand God's plan of redemption, we begin to understand exactly what God is doing in the sense of we see his, his love, we see his mercy, mercy, his compassion, and his power. What does that call us to do? To worship. This morning, let's look at three reasons why our hearts should worship Christ from this passage here in Luke. And the first reason we should worship, worship is because the Lord is powerful. Mary exalts the Lord for his power in multiple ways. She praises him for the great power that he's displayed in his sovereignty over Israel. So God has been with Israel from the beginning of the people of Israel when they first um, were born through Abraham. And he has shown his power by saving them from famine, by rescuing them from slavery, by destroying great armies, and by providentially providing a land for them to dwell in as his people. Mary says that he has done mighty deeds with his arm, He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. Mary, again, is is clearly a woman that knows her scripture. 
She knows what God has already done through Israel. And because she can look back on the nation of Israel, she can see the powerful hand that God has had and he's displayed his mighty deeds in many ways. He's a God that holds all things together by the power of his might. During this time of year when families get together, it's always fun to see what the children do when all the cousins, when all the brothers and sisters, everyone gets together this time of year. And if you've ever had a large family gathering, you probably know what the younger boys always end up doing. They're the ones that are 9, 10, or 11 years old. If it's cold outside, if it's a little muggy, they all sit around the couch. They all converse and have meaningful conversations. They do, don't they? Right? They just sit around. They talk about how life is going, all that. No, not at all. What do they do? They want to do something rough. They want to do something, go play football outside when it's 25 degrees outside. They want to go into the basement and have some sort of lightsaber battle, nerf battle, whatever it is. They want to do something that's rough. And it's always interesting when an adult gets involved. Not saying someone gets in trouble, but when an adult wants to join in on the fun. Meaning, it could either be the, the, the 11 or 10-year-old that's asking Uncle John, say, to join them, or it could be Uncle John just can't resist joining in on the fun. And it is always humorous because when that happens, it doesn't take long for the 9 and 10 and 11-year-olds to realize that even though Uncle John didn't play a day of football in his high school career, not a day, if he wants to score a touchdown, he will score five. Like, Versus nine and ten year olds, John, Uncle John is just powerful. He can just overpower everyone and he can decide everything that's going to happen. And obviously, our God is dramatically different than an uncle on either Thanksgiving or Christmas that is going to play sports against children. God's much different than that. But God is powerful in the sense of no one can control what God is going to do because God is sovereign. God is over everything and no one can match his power. Mary understands that. She sees that. And not only does Mary see God's power throughout the history of Israel, but Mary can see God's power in her own life as well. She says, The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. And what is this great thing that God has done for Mary? Well, he's given her a special place. So God has displayed his power by divinely orchestrating that Mary would conceive of the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Savior of the nation, Israel, and to all his people. And Mary understands that it's God alone that by his power could plan that the Christ would come from her womb. And it's not by chance that she has this privilege. It's very clear that this is by God's design and by his sovereign hand. He is the one that's orchestrating every single detail with this. Not only does Mary see God's power illustrated in the nation of Israel and even in her own life in this time, but she can also see the Lord's mercy in this. She can see that the Lord is a merciful God. And when we think of mercy, mercy is God's compassion on those who are in a miserable state. And we're all in a miserable state, aren't we? Because we're sinners. The Lord was merciful to Israel on many occasions. There were times where he showed mercy and their protection But there were also plenty of times where God was merciful to them simply when they had sinned, when they'd rebelled against God. And instead of choosing just to completely wipe them out, God was merciful and chose to withhold, giving them the full consequences of their sin. When the Israelites deserved to be destroyed by God, he was compassionate and loving in many ways and chose to spare them from that complete destruction. Mary says that he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. 
God has shown his mercy and that he has sent the Messiah. He showed his mercy throughout the entire Old Testament, but this is the culmination of that, that he has sent the Savior, the one who can save them from their sins. And God's people have desired to once again have a right relationship with their creator. And the Savior that is coming into the world is the one who has said to reverse the curse of sin that we all experience. And not only is this an act of mercy and compassion on the world, but this is also an act of mercy and compassion on Mary herself. Mary praises God and says, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Mary was a sinner, just like us. And she was merely a bond slave, a servant of God. And yet God in his compassion gives Mary the privilege of having this special place in God's redemptive plan of his people. And it's true that all generations now do count Mary blessed because we sing about these truths every, every year at Christmas time. And it is true, we read about these things throughout the year of how God used Mary in his sovereign plan. And God, his sovereignty and power and mercy can be seen in her life as that she was a servant And it's the same for us as well in the sense of we're not like Mary and we don't have that kind of role. But whenever we have the opportunity to serve in the kingdom of God, that is an opportunity to delight and to rejoice in God's mercy. We don't have to have a role in wherever we are in the kingdom, whether we're serving, whether it be singing, whether it be teaching, whether it be um, helping with anything. We don't have to have that. I mean, that's not deserved. But God in his rich mercy and compassion has given us the privilege of playing a role in his kingdom. And when we look through the Bible, we can see that God's power and his mercy are woven together throughout the Old Testament. There are a variety of circumstances, especially throughout the Old Testament, where you can see his power and his mercy kind of being woven together together like that of a scarf. And we see that God is a God that he's holy, he cares, he loves his people, but he also has the power to do what is necessary. And here in the Christmas story, those things come together in a climactic moment. Just like how in a song, there's always a time that's the climactic mountaintop part of the song. So it is in the scripture. And that is right here because God is the Savior. She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So the miracle of Christmas is that God both powerfully and mercifully has sent the Messiah to save his people from their sins. And the good news is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is God himself. So Jesus Christ is, is God who became a man. Our Lord took on upon himself a real human nature. So this means that those around Jesus physically saw him as we see anyone physically in this room. He, was, he looked like an ordinary man. He talked and interacted with people as humans do. He was a person that would feel hungry if he went without food. He would be tired if he went without sleep. We can read about all of this. He would even feel pain if he was hurt. But in all these things, in how Christ talked, how he acted, how he desired things, how he thought, how he walked around and interacted with people, there was something very different about Christ, and that is he was without sin. Imagine meeting someone who was just as much of a person as you were, yet they didn't have any indwelling sin. It would not take long for you to figure out that this person is living for something differently 
There is a different engine that is driving them. Jesus was never sinfully anxious or angry. He was always considering others more significant than himself. And in all things, he chose to do what pleased God. Even the core desires of his heart were centered around giving God glory. And Christmas time is a time that we remember that Jesus Christ became a man. But why? He became a man so that he could live in order to die so that we might live. Hebrews says it this way. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, children meaning humans, since they share in flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The problem that we all have is that we are sinners and that we have a holy God. We've all rebelled against God and we've chosen to live our lives that glorify us rather than glorify God because, and because of that, we deserve to be punished. Not only do we deserve to be punished, but since God is good, he must deal with sin. He must punish sin. It would be evil for God to just merely overlook sin or to sweep it under the rug as we simply do with our problems sometimes. So we as humans deserve punishment. However, God is not a God that delights in punishment. And praise the Lord for that. He's a God that in fact delights in seeing people saved. Because of that, God has sent his only son into the world so that Jesus could live as a human so that he would live a perfectly righteous life and would die on the cross and raise again on our behalf. And on that cross, Jesus didn't just die physically. It says in Hebrews here that he was our propitiation. What does that mean? That means Jesus took our payment for us so that we don't have to take it ourselves. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the way for any human to become right with God, and he freely offers forgiveness and salvation to all, but you must hear what this good news demands. To become right with God, for salvation to be applied to you, you must turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. All of us naturally live in a way that we want to live. When we're born, we want to do what we want to do, and without God intervening in our life, lives. We're just going to want to do whatever we want to think about, whatever we want to desire. We are going to choose the path that gives us exaltation. To come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we must forsake all sin and choose to follow Jesus. That's what it says in the scripture, that we would follow Christ. And this doesn't mean you have to have a perfect life or you don't need to do anything in, or in, in the sense of works in order to receive salvation. But it does mean that you will forsake the direction of your life and choose to live a life that is pleasing to Christ. To say that he is Lord, to acknowledge that he is Savior, and to place your faith in him. Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
If you're here today and you don't know if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, today is a great day to put your faith in him. And if you don't know that you have that salvation and you'd like to talk to someone, um, anyone here would love to chat with you. And even one of the pastors would like to talk with you after the service to kind of walk through with you, what does it look like to put your faith in Jesus Christ? Like I said before, you'll even find the pastors out in the foyer after the service. We would love to be there to pray with you to answer any questions that you might have if you're here today and you have questions about anything that was taught or sung about. Now for us in the room who are believers... What are some ways that we can be changing this Christmas season in light of the truths that we know about God's mercy and his power and his his coming as a savior at this time of year? Well, here are three ways I think that we can apply this to our lives. The first is that if you know someone in your life who doesn't know the Lord and they're not here today, I would encourage you to go find that person. They could be at work. They could be at school. They could be in a college class with you. They could even be a family member. This is a great time of year for you to share the gospel with someone because it's almost like the world has a softer heart to a degree. You know, you can turn on the radio and hear the gospel message through secular radio stations sometimes by hearing just simple Christmas songs being sung. So this is a marvelous time of year that you can be sharing the good news of Christ with others. And the best gift that you could give to someone else if they don't already have it is the gift of the gospel. If they've never heard the gospel, that is the best thing that you could give this year. The second thing that we can do is, let's put it this way, Christmas is is an interesting time of year because many things get faster. There's a lot of stuff going on during Christmas time, but it's interesting because there's a lot of things that get slower at the same time. There's a lot of moments of reflection. There's a lot of moments where we can sit and think and, and really thank the Lord for what he has done. So I would encourage you, take some time this week. Take some time before Christmas happens to either journal or make a list or do whatever you need to do to pray and just thank the Lord for what he has done in this, whether it be six months, year, wherever, wherever you are in your life. Because you can see God's power and mercy not only in Israel's history, not only in Mary's history right here, but you can even see it in your history as a Christian. So I would encourage you to take some time to meditate and reflect on what God has done. And, and thirdly, what does it look like for you to be serving the folks around you this year? Meaning, we can see that Christ is a Savior who came to sacrificially serve, and there are countless opportunities to be serving those around us, even those that are close to us. There are many ways to serve corporately, like we've been talking about for the last few months and weeks, but there are even ways to serve folks in your house in a way that you have never done before. What does it look like for you to be growing in being a sacrificial servant in this Christmas season? Christmas is such a joyful time of season, isn't it? And especially for Christians, because God's power And his mercy are seen most prominently in the coming of his son who lived, died, and rose again so that we would be forever redeemed. Now let's pray for a moment and then our choir and orchestra will join us again and we'll continue singing and praising to our God. Lord, we come before you this morning and we're thankful that you're a God that loves us. We're thankful that you're a God that is powerful and a God that is merciful. We can see these things as we even just walk through the text of Scripture ourselves. If we're reading in the Old Testament, we can see it. We can see it in Mary's life, and we can also see it in our life. That you've sent Jesus Christ, your only Son, to save us from our sin. God, we confess that we don't always worship you like we should. We don't always worship you in a way that is honoring, and we confess that is sin. And in the midst of that, Lord, we can thank you knowing that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
We have everything we need for our spiritual life because you've sent your son. And during this Christmas season, we ask that you would help us to give thanks for that. Help us to see the different ways that he's working, that you are working in our lives. And we ask for those around us as well, that that those around us would have soft hearts, that you might draw people to yourself, even this morning and throughout this season, that you would continue to draw people, that that your people here and, and even in Tippecanoe County would grow, that more would come to worship you. And God, for the rest of our service this morning, we ask that you would bless us, you would bless this service, and that this would be a time um, of delightful worship to you, God. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.